This is your home of the Oregon Ducks. Up to Brown Jr. Passes off to Smith for the dunk with two hands. And we love to talk about them. With expert interviews, insight, and analysis, this is Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 The Game. Oh, it's good to be back. What's up, Portland? 102.9750 The Game. Judah Newby here with you in the Quack Attack as the Ducks are in Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. Thomas and Max Center, Oregon, Washington State, tipping off at 8.30 tonight. And we've got a special edition of the Quack Attack right here, 5 to 6 p.m. Oregon IMG starts at 8 and tip-off just past the bottom of the hour at 8.30. Coming up on the show, we're going to talk to Steve Mims of the Eugene Register Guard. He is live boots on the ground in Vegas. He joins us in 10 minutes. Plus, Greg Peter. Anderson, Vegas Stats and Information Network. He's joining us live from Vegas as well. That's coming up at 5.32. We're going to talk a little spread action, of course. Got to get that angle. And Greg, with the uh, latest bracketology, will get a nice look at the uh, bubble. And if that name sounds familiar, he is the one and only Greg Peterson that once worked here at 102.9 750 The Game. We used to do a podcast together, a college basketball podcast, The Pacific Rim. I know, I came up with the name, but... That is rest in peace ever since Greg departed for Sin City. He will join us, and it will be a Pacific Rim reunion of sorts coming up at 5.30, so you want to be here for that. You can also interact with the show at 1029 The Game. I'm at Judah Newby. Brandon Drose spinning it behind the glass. Uh, you can also call in 503-417-7575. Since we moved the window to drive time here, 5 to 6, I figured might as well open up the phones. And I know the hype around Oregon basketball this year is diminished comparatively to seasons past under Dana Altman. But that's okay. They can't all be winners, kids. They can't all be winners. Sometimes they're just decent teams, and sometimes they're better than decent. And sometimes, as was the case last year, they are great teams that will uh, be in the history books of Oregon basketball for years to come. But that being said, we can always reminisce on Oregon teams past. 503-417-7575. Your favorite Pac-12 college basketball player that you've ever seen play, who is it and why? What kind of memories do you have when you think of the great players that have come through this conference and they didn't have to just play at Oregon, of course, but anywhere, any team in the conference. Watch them on TV. You were able to see them play in person. Maybe you were able to go to an NCAA tournament game and see them play. Maybe you've been able to go to Vegas to a Pac-12 tournament and see them play. But who stands out when you think about Pac-12 basketball and the history of this conference and this sport? Who stands out? Who's some of your favorite players to watch and why? 503-417-7575. Maybe you grew up in the 60s and watched those John Wooden UCLA teams win time and time and time again all the way through the 70s as well, and you're like, hey, no one was better than Lou Alcindor. No one was better than the man before he became Kareem. No one was better. No one was better than Bill Walton and those UCLA teams in the 70s. Uh, I, you know, I'd be hard-pressed to be able to argue against you. There's something to be said, though, for posterity and for the times, the, the players that you watched as you were growing into college basketball fandom. So I'm eager to hear from you at 503-417-7575. Who was who your favorite Pac-12 basketball player to watch in history and why? For me, you know, a lot of my growing up happened in the 90s. And you know, I think of Mike Bibby at Arizona and how dirty he was. Salim Stoudemire, though, probably at Arizona was one of my favorite players to watch growing up. And then at the turn of the century, as those Ernie Kent Oregon teams really started to find their identity, and uh, you know the 03, 04, 05 
coming up through there, the Fred Jones. I mean, I loved watching Fred Jones play. That guy had an energy and an edge to him that you, you just couldn't replicate, let alone the thunderous slam dunks that he had, which took him to the next level, got him into a couple slam dunk competitions in the NBA as well. Luke Rittenauer, Luke Jackson, those teams. A little bit later on, Aaron Brooks, Malik Harrison. You know, and a lot of those guys ended up having pretty serviceable NBA careers as well. I also think of these UCLA teams in, let's see, 07? Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook, <laughs> those teams were dirty. Aflalo, Umba Mute, Darren Collison. God, whatever happened to Darren Collison? But those Ben Howland UCLA teams were pretty fun to watch as well. If I remember correctly, they went to a Final Four, and Ohio State and LSU were in that Final Four as well because you had Big Baby Davis and Tyrus Thomas at LSU. What a team. <laughs> Tyrus Thomas. Man, I loved Tyrus Thomas. And I remember being in a hotel room in uh, the 06 NBA draft when Portland took Tyrus Thomas number two overall. But they already had the trade worked out with the Chicago, with the, uh, Chicago Bulls. Or the Bulls took LaMarcus at two. And the Blazers took Tyrus Thomas and they swapped those picks. And I remember being disappoint, disappointed because... I like Tyrus Thomas. He could leap out of the gym. He's one of the most athletic college basketball players you've ever seen. And the Blazers drafted him and then traded him for LaMarcus Aldridge. And I remember being disappointed. Boy, I'm glad I was wrong. <laughs> Tyrus Thomas has done nothing in the NBA. But that Final Four, you had Thad Mata's Buckeyes and that Ohio State team that, of course, had Greg Oden and Mike Conley. And... uh the UCLA team that had Kevin Love, Aaron Aflalo, Russell Westbrook, Darren Collison. That had that crazy game with Gonzaga and Aaron Adam Morrison. Gonzaga had like a 20-point lead in the second half and choked it all away. I, my memories are starting to come back to me here, but it's, it's, it's mostly because we're finally here. We're finally to the postseason of college basketball. And even though it's small potatoes, it's the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. I feel like that one random WWE fan that calls into Rome sometimes. It's still real to me, damn it. It's still real to me. There's something to be said for postseason college basketball, even if you're not going to make the NCAA tournament. Brandon Droz behind the glass. You're from Colorado, so I think I know where you're going with this. Your favorite player from this conference is who? And CC, you didn't move into the conference until much more recently. So, yeah, now, and I'm over here thinking, you know, the Russell Westbrooks, the Kevin Loves of the world, maybe even James Harden as well, pre beard. One of my favorites there. But I'll be honest, Pac 12 wasn't 100% on my radar, but those were some of the big names that jumped off for a kid who was living at least in Big 12 country at the time. Chauncey Billups, the greatest Colorado player ever? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, the guy, the guy has his own bracket named after him in the. Colorado high school basketball playoffs. It's the Chauncey Billups region is what they call it. Guy has his number retired. I believe he's probably the greatest buff as far as stats go all time. So his brother, Rodney, coaches at Denver, I want to say. Greg Peterson, who joins us at the bottom of the hour, he did an interview with him, uh, with us last year. Is that right, Droz? Rodney? Yeah, he is the head coach of the Denver Pioneers. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Spencer Dinwiddie, a close second. 
greatest buff of all time? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I remember when Dinwiddie, he, he had been hurt for, I think, a lot of his, his last season with the Buffs. So a lot of folks were like, ah, well, you know, they could be so much better if they had Dinwiddie there. But he's somebody who just kind of exploded onto the scene for the Nets here just recently. Steve Mims of the Eugene Register Guard is going to join us coming up live from Vegas. Uh, but first, you talk about Oregon and their best moments in the Pac-12 tournament. I, I like to go back to that 2012 to 13 season when Oregon was a three seed, went all the way to the title game and was able to upset the top seed UCLA. I was watching highlights from that game earlier today. It was a really poorly played game. I'm not going to lie. Very, very sloppy for a Pac-12 championship game. But uh, Oregon was able to get it done. Guys like Damian Dotson was a uh, was a freshman at the time. Jonathan Lloyd, though, Jonathan Lloyd, he was the most outstanding player at the tournament. The Ducks are 50 seconds away from their first Pac-12 tournament championship since 2007. And the crowd rises as one. Oregon believes. Wilson Tarker right. There is a way through. What a night for Jonathan Lloyd. 19 points in his hometown. It's looked oh! An exclamation point like no other by Carlos Emery. The ecstatic celebration in Eugene and throughout the Northwest. How sweet it is. Jonathan Lloyd, Carlos Emery, Arsalan Kazemi. <laughs> it's 2013 all that long ago. More Pac-12 tournament memories to come for the Ducks starting tonight at 8.30 when they tip off against Ernie Kent, of all people, and the Washington State Cougars. Steve Mims, Eugene Register Guard, joins us next. This is the Quack Attack Special Edition on the game. Back to Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 the game. Dan Allman already in season number eight, if you can believe that. It seems just like yesterday that he had this job coming over from Creighton. I mean, it it's amazing how quickly time goes by. I'm gonna to talk to Steve Mims of the Eugene Register Guard at the moment, but the fact that Dana Allman has led Oregon to the tournament. Every year since he's been here, pretty much, except for, like, the first year, I think, they went to the uh, CBI and won the thing, by the way. They won the CBI. And they have won at least one game in the Pac-12 tournament every year since he's been here. Except for one year. One year they didn't win a game. One year they were the three seed. That was 2011 to 2012, and they lost in the quarterfinals to Colorado, who was the sixth seed. That was Colorado's very first year in the Pac-12. They were the sixth seed in the Pac-12 tournament. They beat the Ducks 63-62. And then went on to win the Pac-12 tournament in their first year in the conference as a sixth seed. Now, partially that's because number nine seed, Oregon State, upset Washington, who was the number one seed, and lost to the Beavers in the quarterfinals. That was a, uh, I want to say that was a, Jared Cunningham led Oregon State team 2011-2012. Sounds right. Going to ride with that. In 2012 to 13, so the 2013 conference tournament, the Ducks finished in a three-way tie for second place in the conference. They got the number 3 seed. They beat Washington, the 6 seed. Then they upset Utah. Well, they beat Utah, who was the 10 seed. Utah beat uh Arizona, the 2 seed earlier in the tournament. And then Oregon beat top-seeded UCLA in the championship game to win the Pac-12 tournament that year and get the automatic qualifier. And that that was an interesting team because, first of all, you had names like Damian Dotson and Dominic Artis and Waverly Austin, 
all of whom have been in legal trouble since their exits from Eugene. Um, you had Jonathan Lloyd, who moonlighted as a football player at times. You had Arsalan Kazemi, one of the more endearing post players in program history. EJ Singler, local kid that really gave it his all and was one of the better scorers for the Ducks during that uh, early Altman era coming out of Medford. Tony Woods, something to be said for Tony Woods as a big man. He was actually pretty good. Pretty solid force at 6'10". And Kazemi and Dotson and Lloyd all were named to the all-tournament team in 2013. Dana Altman was the coach of the year in the 2012 to 2013 season. They were a 12 seed. We all remember that. Oregon was severely underseeded at 12 in the Midwest region. Everybody was scratching their heads. They should be at least 10. And I know Oklahoma State was thinking that Oregon should have been much better seeded than 12 because as a 5 seed, the Cowboys did not want to see the Ducks. And as a 12 seed, I believe Oregon was favored in that 12-5 game with Oklahoma State, and they beat them 68-55. Then they beat St. Louis. Remember the Billikens? They beat St. Louis, the four seed, in Oregon as a 12 seed, went to the Sweet 16 the year that they also won the Pac-12 tournament. So something to be said for seasons past. I don't know if Oregon this year will be able to channel similar magic. But let's go to Vegas right now and talk to Steve Mims of the Eugene Register Guard. Follow Steve on Twitter at Steve Mims underscore RG. Steve, how are the vibes in Vegas right now? They're pretty nice. We've uh, went down and watched the early game today. Arena's looking good and ready to go tonight. What happened with Tad Boyle today? Can you explain that? <laughs> yeah, there was a little skirmish at the end of the game, and as he raced out there to try to make sure none of his guys did anything to get him ejected and DQ'd from the next game, it sounds like he uh, pulled a thigh muscle out there and was in a walking boot as he left. So uh, I guess he's day-to-day for tomorrow. <laughs> Nobody is safe. Um, you know, on that front... Should we be surprised? I mean, we're, we're talking about the, um, this Oregon team and the inconsistencies that they've had, but I look at the Arizona State team that lost to Colorado today, and I'm not sure if I've ever seen a team be ranked as high as third in the nation in the non-conference, finish ninth in their own conference, and bow out in the first round convincingly. Like, what do we make of the Sun Devil season? Yeah, I don't know. You know, Hurley's a pretty intense guy. I always wonder if maybe he wears on his guys a little bit. If he's, you know, can kind of get their attention early in the season and then maybe it's, you know, just kind of gets a little bit more exhausting to play for him as it goes on. But, you know, they they beat Kansas and Xavier, like you say, and you know, there are people saying that at that point they should have been number one in the polls just based on their resume. And, you know, they end up, you know, last year was a bad season and they went 7-11 and in the Pac-12. And then this year, and what was supposed to be a great season, they go 8-10. So, in the end, it, it didn't look a whole lot different than last year. Just take away those two big wins early on. You can follow Steve on Twitter at Steve Mims underscore RG. All right, Steve, turning our attention to tonight's game, Oregon taking on Washington State. What do the Ducks have to do differently this time around as opposed to when they faced Washington State and lost to them a week ago? Well, I think a lot of it's just sort of energy at the start. You know, they, they just didn't, you know, they got the season start at Washington State, but then, you know, there were 2,500 people there, 11th place in the pack to all that. I think they got lulled a little bit. and um, You know, they don't have a team that's kind of had that, hey, we got to come out and play hard every game type because they don't have a whole lot of veterans who've done that before. So, you know, I, I, I mentioned, you know, before that game, you know, Dane Alton made a point to say, hey, they were close against Stanford and Stanford blew us out thinking that would get their attention. Clearly didn't, but I think, you know, the fact they lost to him six days later, he feels like he should have that attention now. So 
you can't imagine the overlooking this time just with all this on the line and the fact that they have some tape from less than a week ago of losing, but we'll see. Normally we see an Oregon team kind of be able to channel the energy and the vibe of Vegas and play close to their ceiling at the Pac-12 tournament. Do you expect a similar type of dynamic with this team, or is there something to be said for the fact that since they are so young and have been through so much inconsistency, especially on the road this season, that uh, there there might be something to be said for Bright Lights of Vegas maybe playing a negative role with this team? Yeah, we'll see. You know, I mean, part of that could be, you know, Troy Brown's from here. He's going to be the hometown kid of the SEC, how he reacts, you know, the first time playing in his hometown in college and still carrying kind of the weight of expectations that have been on him. So, so I think that could be a key guy to watch. But, you know, I, I think the other guys, you know, the Pritchard and McIntosh, Brown guys have been through it. And, you know, the freshmen now been through a whole Pac-12. So I wouldn't think that just being here would, would have, a you know, a negative effect on them in terms of the lights being big. It's, you know, it's kind of another conference game at this point. But I do think Brown will be an interesting one to watch, just see if he can kind of keep his composure in a homecoming game. Who's the favorite? in this tournament uh, if it, it's got to be Arizona but it, who has a chance to maybe match Arizona yeah you know I'd like USC this year and then just big, right so they certainly come in with a question there UCLA has been pretty up and down and Stanford's playing well you know beating Cal today so um you know, it's interesting it's it's a bizarre conference when you go in and there's you know other than if you don't run in Arizona you're not playing a ranked team so I think everybody kind of feels like there's you know, unless you're playing Arizona in your bracket, you, you, I think everybody in Oregon's side of the bracket feels like they can get to that title game just because you don't have to, you know, last year UCLA, Oregon, and Arizona were all ranked in the top ten coming in. So it was a tough road for some teams just to get through the semis before you ran into a ranked team, but not the case this year. So I like the way Stanford's been playing down the stretch. You know, I, I, I think Oregon, you know, has the talent-wise with that bracket, but also Utah, you know, not having played today gives them a nice little advantage, and they come in playing pretty well. Earlier this week, we saw the postseason awards, and Peyton Pritchard made second team all-conference, and Dana Altman spoke about how much responsibility he's put on Pritchard as a sophomore this year. Uh, what what are your thoughts on how Peyton has handled his sophomore season, given the uh, the amount of transfer of talent from last year to this year, the leadership role that was thrust upon him, and now he ended up making second team all-Pac-12, but at the same time, it didn't come with the team success that he's accustomed to. Yeah, you know, I think it was tough taking on so many roles. You know, he's their leading scorer, which, um, you know, last year he was averaging seven a game. He's doubled that. I think, the, you know, one thing is, you know, the two seniors that came are both grad transfers. So now you got a sophomore who's your veteran, who's the guy the coach trusts the most, and he's putting it all on. And then you're dealing with two seniors who probably feel a little bit like, hey, you know, we're the seniors, but yet they don't have the experience. So it's been kind of an odd dynamic, you know, all year for Oregon. I think it's probably led to some of their inconsistencies. For Oregon to make it and make a run to the Pac-12 tournament title game, who needs to be the X factor? Who needs to be the guy that makes the all-tournament team and, and maybe most outstanding player for the Ducks to catch some fire here? I think Elijah Brown. You know, it's just he's kind of been a struggle for him again all year long, just kind of figuring out how he fits into this offense. I think he needs to have one of those, you know, three games and three nights, like you say, where he just comes out and sit up and. Um, you know, can kind of get some points and, and hit some threes and kind of be some instant offense for them. And, you know, he, he's done it at times, certainly the Arizona games and both of those, he came through in some big games. But I think they need him to, to kind of put a string of them together that he hadn't done really so far. What do you think the odds are that Oregon can make it to the Pac-12 title game? They would have to obviously win tonight, beat Utah tomorrow, beat most likely USC in the semifinals. Can you talk yourself into that scenario at all? 
You can, you know. I mean, one thing you mentioned, Utah and USC, that's two teams that Oregon's 0-3 against this year. Now, you know, there's, like I said, USC doesn't have Boatwright anymore, and Oregon didn't have Paul White when they played Utah. He was out with a concussion. So, I mean, Oregon's got some different things, but they do have two teams in front of them that not only they haven't beaten this year, but both those teams will be fresher. They'll have had a, a day off that Oregon didn't have. So, I think you can talk yourself into it. Like I said, they can heat it up, but I think at the same time you look and, and the odds will be a little bit stacked against them just in terms of getting three, much less four. If Oregon's streak of making NCAA tournaments ends this year and they go to the NIT, is that a disappointment? I think it'd be a disappointment. I, you know, I've had people say is it a, you know, a, a failure or something. I don't think that just because you know you're coming off an Elite Eight, you knew you lost a lot. You've got a good recruiting class coming in next year, so it's not like anybody's seeing this as you know the start of a decline. But I think it's a disappointment just because, like you say, I mean, when you've been there five in a row and. Albans probably had some teams less talented than this that got to the tournament, just kind of meshed together better early than this team didn't. So I think it would certainly be disappointing. Oregon's reached that point where if you don't make the tournament, it's a disappointment. But at the same time, I, I think there's enough coming next year, and they're coming off a, a Final Four, to where I don't think there's anybody who's going to look and, and try to question where the program's headed. Last thing for you, Steve. If Oregon wins tonight, then they'll play tomorrow again at 8.30. Are you a fan of these late tip-offs that the Ducks have in Vegas? I'm not because i got a deadline. But uh, <laughs> it's kind of nice to have the, the day free. You know, you kind of like sleeping in doing that. But, you know, when they were, you know, if, if USC had lost their play on Saturday, Oregon would have played at 2.45. So I'm not going to lie. I was I was cheering pretty hard for the Trojans on Saturday night. That would be nice to have a 2.45 game. And, and work it that way. But, yeah, no, it, it's late night. In fact, I think they've even listed the TV time for tonight is 841. So, yeah. uh, you know, maybe the B's going to overtime and we don't start the thing till after 9. We'll see. But uh, certainly it's going to be a, a, a quick turnaround to, to get a story in the print for tomorrow. See, it's the game within the game, you know. <laughs> yeah, like you said, they, they're worried about their their performance. I'm worried about mine. So I, I, I look at things like that, like you said time, what time it's going to end, when deadline is, those, those are some of the factors that matter to me that not a whole lot of people are going to care about. See, sports writers and athletes, they're one and the same. You can only focus on what you can control, Steve. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. Hey, follow him on Twitter, at Steve Mims underscore RG. It's good talking to you, Steve. Thanks for joining us. You got it, man. Good to talk to you. Appreciate that from Steve Mims. G-Unit himself, Greg Peterson, formerly of The Game fame, now with Vegas Stats and Information Network. He's up next. This is Quack Attack with Judah Newby, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling, on your home of the Oregon Ducks, 1029 and 750 The Game. You get certain moments in life that are just surreal. You know, and you, you, you got to actually be in the moment in order to feel its authenticity. And this is one such moment as we go to the phone lines right now on the Quack Attack and reunite. With the G unit himself, Greg Peterson, Vegas Stats and Information Network, formerly of this year's station, 1029 The Game, and our uh, our podcast we did this time a season ago on Sunday mornings, the Pacific Rim. Greg, what's up, man? Judah, it is so good to be back on with you, my friend. How are you? I'm good. They've been cracking down on bump music around here lately, so I wasn't able to bring you in with uh, the outfield like I really wanted to. Oh, man, you're loved by the outfield, the ultimate folk song. We all know that, but you know what? That was pretty solid as well. You know, I I, you know, I can't help myself. I'm going to play a little bit. Here we go. I just want to use your love tonight. There it is. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I don't want to lose your love. 
All right, Greg. Um, Vegas, Pac-12 tournament's going on right now. I know a lot of uh, Duck fans have kind of given up on at-large possibilities, as they should, unless this team finds a little magic, which I'm not sure if that's very likely. What are your thoughts on the Pac-12 this year? And, uh, you know, there's something to be said for how weak it's been, and yet at the same time, you had Arizona State at one point ranked third in the country somehow and finished ninth in their own conference, and you had Arizona as a top-two preseason-ranked team, and it was a very turbulent year for them as well. What, what do you make of Pac-12 basketball this year? Well, you know what? If everyone in the Pac-12 could play against Kansas, they'd be doing pretty well because Arizona State and Washington seem to have their number. But at the same time, this conference just didn't get the job done when they needed to. I mean, for Arizona State to go 8-11 and in this conference, get swept by Oregon, get swept by Stanford, lose twice to Colorado State, that is absolutely inexplicable. I have not seen a team fall off the map like this in a very long time. I mean, actually, you take a look at it, USC has not been too bad. They had that loss to Princeton early on in the year. That was a little bit head-scratching. They gave away some late leads. Obviously, losing on that half-quarter against Stanford was very brutal. The lead they blew against Arizona State, not good. But at the same time, I think they should be an NCAA tournament team. UCLA is looking like they're getting on the right side of the bubble. If they win one game in the Pac-12 tournament, it's going to be hard to leave them out. But at the same time, you've got some of these teams where you just don't know what's going on because Oregon has some nice wins on their resume. They had that nice one against Arizona last week, but it looks like at the very minimum they're going to have to they're going to have to make the finals of the Pac-12 tournament in order to get in. And then you've got Arizona itself, a team that plays zero defense whatsoever, but might have the most talent of any team in the country. DeAndre Ayton is, in my opinion, going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. Alonzo Trier has tons of upside, but sometimes he just gets lackadaisical. He just settles for jump shots when he should be really driving it to the hole, but. You've got the ultimate linchpin in Raleigh Alkins. Ever since he came back from Arizona, they've looked like a different team. Who do you like to win this tournament? You've got to like Arizona here, but at the same time, you've got a bunch of interesting sleepers. I mean, heck, I'll even throw out there Oregon as a sleeper. I mean, I know that Oregon is a sixth seed. They're going to be taking on Washington State tonight. I actually think that Washington State covers the 11.5 out here in Vegas, but I think Oregon gets a win there. I think that Oregon could get on a little bit of a heater. I think that they could possibly make the final play against Arizona. How devastating was the boat ride injury for USC's chances to do anything special? I mean, it is devastating. I think that USC should be in the field regardless. They have an RPI of 32. They won the Diamond Head Classic out there in Hawaii. And they have some good wins on their resume. So I think USC should be in. But at the same time, losing boat ride, it hurts. But at the same time, if you take a look at how, how USC played last year, they actually, I believe, went 10-4 and four without him. So this is a team that has played without Boatwright in the past and has been successful. But at the same time, you add on there the loss of DeAndre Melton earlier in the year because obviously he did not play at all. That's a big, that's a big loss. The big key is can Chemezi Metu break through and really show that potential that he showed all year long because he showed flashes of being able to dominate the game. Now he has to go out there be a guy that's scoring like 28, 25 points and getting 10 rebounds a game. Greg Peterson joining us on the game. This is the Quack Attack. Follow Greg on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81. You mentioned the Ducks-Cougars matchup that's coming up tonight at 830 and that you like Washington State plus the 11.5. What's your breakdown of that matchup? You take a look at this game. I mean, Washington State just beat Oregon a couple weeks ago. I know that that game was in Pullman, 
But Washington State actually is a team that they practice with a very shortened shot clock. I know that Ernie Kent implemented that to get Washington State a little bit more up-tempo. I mean, there have been times where they showed that. I remember when they won the Wooden, Wooden Legacy, they hung like 90 points on San Diego State. They were playing out their mind on offense, knocked out St. Mary's. But then they just hit a big, giant bowl. I mean, this is a team that nearly lost to Seattle earlier this year on their home court. I mean, I just have no idea what happened to Washington State throughout the year. But they seem to be having some good guard play in Fleming Company. So I do think that Washington State has a decent chance to be able to at least hang within single digits. I just think that Oregon's going to have a little bit too much. You take a look at Brown and Company. They seem to have a lot of potential there. I mean, there are times where they really show it, too. And Dana Oldman, one of the best coaches in all of college basketball, they have a good point guard at Peyton Pritchard, but they just sometimes get a little bit too careless, and that's my trepidation with Oregon, especially laying double digits. It's such a weird year and a weird landscape in the Pac-12. As you take a look at the tournament, uh, the conference tournament, and the bubble across the country, how many teams max can you see going to the tournament from this conference? I mean, if everything were to go right for the Pac-12, I could see four. I just think that the three number is what it's looking like for the conference right now because with Arizona State losing, they should not be allowed into the NCAA tournament. Their RPI is now 65. They have three quadrant one wins. Now, knocking off Kansas and knocking off Xavier, two huge wins, but you go 8-11 against Pac-12 foes, and this Pac-12, as we know, is not very good this year. You do not belong in the NCAA tournament with that resume. So, I think that they're out. I think USC should be in. I think Arizona is no doubt a lock as well. And then from there, I think UCLA finds a way to get in, and perhaps you maybe get a big team. Perhaps it's a Stanford. Maybe it's an Oregon. Heck, I think Washington even has a chance to get in that large if they can make it to the Pac-12 final because they will have to knock off Arizona to get there. And Washington actually played really well at a conference as well. I alluded to their win against Kansas. I know that they lost two games in New York when they played against Providence. And I believe their other game, I completely forget who it was actually against Virginia Tech that they were playing against. But, I mean, they definitely challenged themselves out of conference. So I don't think Washington's dead yet for an at-large as well. I'm looking at some of these uh, non-Power 5 teams that have had really nice seasons and might be able to do some damage. And I'm I'm curious your thoughts on them. The first one is um, Rhode Island. And this is a team that Duck fans should be familiar with because, you know, they faced them last year in the tournament and Rhode Island nearly snipped them in Sacramento. Right now, a lot of, you know, where do you have Rhode Island in terms of your personal bracketology, and could they be another team under uh, Danny Hurley that can make some noise? Just a few weeks ago, Rhode Island was a five-seed in my bracketology after losing a couple games, including one by 30 against St. John's. I don't know, or St. Joe's. I don't know how that happened. They've fallen into an 8-9 matchup, but at the same time, I still really like this team. E.C. Matthews is a senior guard that's been a little bit banged up this year. But he's able to really take over games. And we really saw the depth of this team as well, just the guard play come out against the Ducks. I mean, what I really question is, are they going to have enough rebounding to be able to keep opponents at bay? They don't necessarily have the best size. But at the same time, let's say they get matched up against Kansas. Kansas is a team that has only one big man in Yudoka as a rookie, a guy who's currently injured and going to miss a Big 12 tournament. I mean, I could actually see Rhode Island if they get to that spot play against Kansas in a 1-8 matchup, I could see them possibly being able to pull an upset and get to the Sweet 16. 
Greg Peterson joining us right now. You can watch uh, Greg's show, March to Madness, on uh, Vegas Sports Information Network Live, V-S-I-N Live. Greg, what time is that going on now? That is 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific, Monday through Friday, and then every Saturday from 11 to noon. And a little bit of a programming note, from 3 to 6 p.m. Pacific time on Sunday, I'll be live on set with Brent Musburger, breaking down the whole uh, bracket. We're going to be breaking it down from a Vegas perspective. I'm going to be going ballistic at the teams that don't deserve to be in the tournament that got overseeded. So it's going to be a lot of fun. You've got to be pinching yourself when you sit next to Uncle Brett. That's amazing. Yeah, it's not going to lie. It's pretty darn cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to ask you, too, about a, uh, you know, a, a lower profile team. That could be sneaky. Double-digit seeds that are primed to spring some upsets. And I'm looking at South Dakota State. What are your thoughts on the Jackrabbits? Yes, sir. If you don't know the name Mike Dobbs, get to know it. He averages 23.8 points, 10.4 rebounds per game. Guys, six foot nine shoots over 42% from distance. He is one of the best mid-major players you are going to see. This San Diego or South Dakota State team, they shoot at one of the best clubs at the free throw line in the nation. They shoot really well from three. They don't play a whole lot of defense, but at the same time, I remember watching this team play Wichita State toe-to-toe for about 35 minutes earlier this year. They went to overtime and knocked off Ole Miss on the road. They also knocked off Iowa earlier this year. You may recall they were a 16 team last year. They played against Gonzaga. They gave them a really good half. They hung in there with them two points. So this helped to go to St. team. Very dangerous. If they get the right matchup, like say they get pitted against Ohio State in a 4-13 matchup, I would actually take South Dakota State. I look at Virginia and what Tony Bennett does there. I'm such a fan of him, but there seems to always be a ceiling on that team because of their offense. You know, obviously they play elite defense, but their offense can limit them at times. However, Greg, could this be the year that Virginia's pack line just takes them all the way to the top? If I had to pick one team to win the national title today, I would pick Virginia. And it's because they've got multiple guys that can get them out of shooting holes. Before, it was only Kyle Anderson or it was only Malcolm Brogdon that could score on command. Now you've got Kyle Guy. You've got Ty Jerome. Paul is a good scorer for this team as well. I mean, you don't get much out of Jack Cofell low, but the fact that Virginia has scoring options past just a numero uno, that is huge for this team because I'll be honest here, last year when they had London Prentice, they essentially had no-go-to scores. So that's the big difference with Virginia. We saw that when they came back from down double digits uh a couple uh, weeks ago when they were playing against Louisville, actually erased a four-point lead in under a second. I don't know how that happens, Louisville. They keep wins in the regular season, but that's beyond the point. You also saw this team a couple weeks ago playing against Florida State. They were down 10 at the half. They did not panic. They continued to play their game. They just scratched and clawed their way to victory. I really like this Virginia squad. Basketball in the city of Cincinnati is going to another level this year with the play of Xavier and the play of the Bearcats as well. Our program director here, Bruce Collins, big fan of the Bearcats. Bruce. Who goes farther, Greg? And keep Bruce in mind with this answer. Xavier or Cincinnati? <laughs> it's actually Cincinnati, and I say this in all legitimacy because if you take a look at Xavier, right now I have them as the number one seed. I easily see them falling to the two line because someone has to lose in the Big East tournament among Villanova and Xavier, and I don't even know if Xavier gets to the, the title game in all honesty. But you take a look at Cincinnati. This is the number one team in the nation in regards to defensive efficiency. They allow the fewest points per possession of any team in the country. They go about 9 or 10 deep. So you got to like that. Kyle Washington down low, just an absolute maniac. You've got Gary Clark as well. 
This is a team that can cook with gas on defense. They're built on their banks. They rebound just insanely well. Meanwhile, Xavier, they've been winning games, but they've been doing so in very narrow ways. I mean, this team needed a four-point play to go to overtime on their home floor against Georgetown. They had to come back from down 20 in non-conference play against East Tennessee State. They nearly blew a 17-point lead against a Marshall team that can't guard its own shadow. So if you take a look at it, I really like Cincinnati chances much more than Xavier. Saw this on Facebook, Greg, and we'll get you out on this. It is a season of upsets. Speaking of which, you're in a committed relationship, my man? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they said that a, one, a 16 seed could never defeat a one seed. Well, my friends, I guess this might be the year because that has officially happened. Take Greg off the market. Greg, it's good reconnecting with you again, my man. Uh, we'll follow you on Twitter, at GUnit underscore 81, and keep crushing it down in Vegas. Judah, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> Greg is the man. If you miss any of our interviews on the Quack Attack, find them by following us on Twitter, at 1029thegame, at Judah Newby. And uh, I'll be posting them up on SoundCloud, and my man Greg will retweet them as well. Talk Timbers coming up at the top of the hour. Oregon IMG pregame at 8 p.m. Ducks Cougars just past 8.30 from Vegas. Thanks to Steve Mims. Thanks to Greg Peterson. We're back with a final segment of the Quack Attack coming up next here on the game. Attack with Judah Newby, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks, 1029 and 750 The Game. Big thanks to Greg Peterson and Steve Mims for joining the program earlier, taking you all the way up to the top of the hour before Talk Timbers walks through the door. Thanks for being along for the ride here on the game. Judah Newby here with you on a special edition of the Quack Attack. Moved up a couple of hours due to Oregon basketball actually being in action tonight. First round of the Pac-12 tournament as they take on Washington State, a team uh, against whom they lost just, well, less than a week ago. Let's talk about what needs to go differently for Oregon with our key matchup. Which matchup will be critical for the Ducks' success? Judah Newby breaks down the key matchup. Brought to you by Oregon College Savings Plan. Imagine the possibilities. Yeah, he does. Um, Oregon shot 10 of 32 from three-point range against Wazoo and Pullman last week. First of all, that's way too many threes. And it's funny how a coach can stress a certain category and a certain aspect of the game as much as he wants in the lead-up and on all the practices, and he can predict that his team's going to come out with a lot of energy and we're going to be able to execute X and Y and Z and play full 40 minutes, and then none of that happens. Dana Altman was stressing the fact that Oregon cannot get into a three-point race with Washington State last week, and they did exactly that, attempting 32 three-point shots, making only 10 of them for a 31.3% clip. Okay, that's pretty easy. That's got to change. Oregon's got to shoot better from beyond the arc. Steve Mims of the Eugene Register Guard joined us earlier. He made the point. I, I asked him if Oregon does somehow make a run to the Pac-12 tournament title game. I'm not even saying winning it. Just make it to Saturday. Who needs to step up? Who needs to be the X factor? And really, no surprise, his answer was Elijah Brown. And I swear, I mean, I know Dana Ullman likes Elijah Brown, but, man, 75% of the time it feels like he's speaking negatively about the guy. It's always Elijah Brown is taking too many bad shots. Elijah Brown, cold shooting night. Elijah Brown, I keep telling him to do this, and he's doing that. And it's always been so harsh for a player that has only spent one year in your program. Uh, that being said, I don't blame him because Elijah Brown is, is the X factor. If he's scoring the rock, 
that opens up so many driving lanes for Peyton Pritchard and Troy Brown, and it opens up opportunity for Mikhail McIntosh to bang around down low. If he is not a threat from the outside and just not a threat offensively in general, it really congests what Oregon is able to do offensively and severely limits them. In order for Oregon to be diverse, in order for them to be unpredictable and to be potent on offense, Elijah Brown's got to make some shots. He is part of my key matchup. Another part, unsurprisingly, is Mikhail McIntosh. He went 3-for-10 from the floor against the Cougars last week. That ain't good enough, bro. Seven points. He didn't even attempt a single free throw. Need more from Mikhail McIntosh, especially considering with him and Elijah Brown being one-and-doneers, in a sense, being grad transfers. This needs to be the time for them to step up. Ultimately, I do think Oregon does get it done against Washington State tonight. There's a chance they get it done against Utah tomorrow. I know, I know that they lost to Utah at home earlier this year. And they lost both games against USC earlier this year as well. That's likely the team they'll see Friday night. But could you not imagine a scenario, and Brandon Droz, I know you had your show last night too, but could you not imagine a scenario in which the six-seed Ducks find a way to piece this sucker together, gain a little bit of momentum with each passing game, somehow upset Utah tomorrow night if they win tonight, and then somehow parlay that into upsetting a USC team that doesn't have Benny Boatwright, and maybe they find themselves playing in the title game. I mean, uh, my prediction for it, I at least have them in the semifinals. I think they do go and they beat Utah if they get the win tonight. They get the win over the Utes tomorrow. It's that game against USC that has me a little worried right there. But if they do happen to get it, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. It's matchup-based, and they have the late tip-off if they end up winning every game, and that's beneficial for them, I think. Exactly. Good point. They got an 8.30 tip tonight. They got an 8.30 tip tomorrow if they win tonight when they play the Utah Utes. You can find that game on Fox Sports 1. And, of course, the play-by-play will be right here on 102. Tonight, the game. If you missed our conversation with Steve Mims or Greg Peterson, go, go ahead and follow at 1029 the game or at Judah Newby. If you're not on Twitter and that's not your thing, I totally get it. First of all, I always want to get off Twitter, but can't get away from it. Necessary evil for sports fans. Um, go to soundcloud.com and search Judah Newby, and I put all of all my interviews there. They also sync up to iTunes too. So if you've got iTunes and you want to search some podcasts, Type Judah Newby in the search bar, and you'll find all the interviews there. Greg gave out some really good details, including who he likes right now at this moment as the favorite to win the NCAA tournament, and what an odd NCAA tournament it has been. Um, it was also good catching up with Greg. I remember uh, at this point last year, we were doing our Pacific Rim podcast, and it would always come out Sunday afternoons. We would record Sunday mornings, and it would uh, come out Sunday afternoons. And one Sunday, we were just hanging out on the east side of Portland. And Greg, if you don't know, and Droz is similar to this, Brandon. You're also a Jersey guy. Greg is also a big Jersey guy. I think you guys would get along. Yeah, Chop was mentioning that when I was like, yeah, I got this big thing for jerseys. Like, we used to have a guy who had college basketball jerseys out the out the wazoo here. Yeah. One guy, uh, one Jersey guy out the door, another one comes back in. But me and Greg were hanging out one day, and um, somewhere around, I think it was around Hawthorne, and uh, we see a yard sale, random yard sale out of nowhere maybe yeah i can't remember what it was some hispanic lady was selling stuff we're you know we're just casually checking things out out of nowhere i i'm is that, i spotted oregon duck basketball jersey i'm like is that a, is that a duck basketball jersey is that number 33 is that a luke jackson black oregon basketball jersey sure enough it was no name on the back of course but uh it was an old school, like 2004 Luke Jackson duck basketball jersey. Greg's like, one minute later, he had bought the thing and he was wearing it. That was that was uh, that was Pete Greg Peterson right there. Appreciate Greg joining the show. Appreciate Steve Mims as well. Appreciate you listening. 
I'm Judah Newby. This has been the Quack Attack, and thanks for joining us all season long. Ducks, Washington State, tips tonight at 8.30. Quack, or excuse me, the uh, Talk Timbers, presented by Cheldon Windows and Doors, is up next on the game.